Good evening, church. Let's bow for a word of prayer this evening. Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for uh, each person that's gathered here today. I pray and I hope that they all had a great Christmas celebrating uh, what you did when you became flesh and uh, came to this earth many years ago to die on a cross for our sins. I pray that each home celebrated that during this Christmas season, Lord. I pray that we look forward to your blessings and your goodness and your faithfulness in the coming year. I uh, pray for all those who may be watching online as well that you would bless them through the hearing of your word tonight, Father. We are grateful for this opportunity to be here, to be um, together as your people, and to hear from you. So I just pray that you would work through your word tonight, that your name may uh, be praised and glorified uh, throughout this service. We praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome, church. Uh, we had a, a bit of a heat wave come through today, didn't we, compared to the last few days? And so glad that that everything's thawed out and that you all were able to be here. As Spencer's already mentioned, we will be in Psalm 67. Y'all are kind of used to what Pastor Mike does here. So I'm gonna, this is seven verses and we're going to milk it for all it's worth for at least as much as we can do in 45 minutes. So, um, so that's what we're going to be in tonight. I, there is a sheet. I hope you got that as you came in or there's a few still here on the stand. As always, there's some blanks there so you'll need a pencil. I love doing this. It just keeps you all honest as you're listening um, to the lesson tonight. So just a, a few blanks to fill in. Uh, four points we're going to be covering tonight on Psalm 67. Uh, I know that you're not supposed to technically start sentences or points with a conjunction, but I did out of three of them. Three of them start with the word so. I have a point there, so if it makes you feel better grammatically, just imagine there's a comma at the end of point one, and then all the rest of them just are sentences that flow from that. So, uh, But that'll be four points that we're going to cover on Psalm 67 tonight. So I'm glad that you're here. Go ahead and open your Bibles to that, and we're going to, we're going to read... Uh, this is a, a psalm that, um, uh, as we, we traveled to, um, we, we went on a mission trip. We went to South Asia. I won't name the country because it's one of the sensitive ones, but uh, we're going live tonight. But we um, went to South Asia, and we visited a country we've been to a few times. And this psalm was one that, um, one morning I was sitting there. We were at a, a small house way, way up in the mountains um, and uh, had woke up early because it's just, couldn't sleep very well, and I was reading my Bible, and this psalm just was one, we were probably only a day or two in at this point, and this psalm was one that I just happened to read, providentially read, I should say, uh, that morning, and it just blessed me the rest of the trip, and I thought about it the whole rest of the time that I was on the trip, and I thought about it when we got back from the trip, and um, so it's just kind of one that is, uh, that now that I have an opportunity to fill in for Pastor Mike tonight, I wanted to expound upon it with you all. And kind of give you some of my thoughts. And I haven't, we haven't had it. We, we've talked about the, the trip that we took back in October. And, and Spencer was one of the, the teammates that went with us. And he was there um, along with uh, three others from the church. And so we are, uh, we're grateful to be able to do that. But I haven't had a lot of an opportunity to, to share. So hopefully they'll be, be interjecting some details from that trip uh, for you all tonight to kind of explain some stuff there that maybe we haven't been able to share yet. But, um, but that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And this psalm is just one that uh, just really uh, stuck out to me over the last couple of months. And so I'm grateful to have an opportunity to share that with you all. So as we, again, look at God's Word, let's look at Psalm 67, and then we'll dive right into this. So I'm going to read it. I'm just going to read it all the way through, and then we will, we will break it down. Psalm 67, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us. And bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You know, one of the clearest truths in Scripture is that, that God is the God of the nations. You know, we often refer to Matthew 28 and the last few verses of thereafter, 1920 specifically, as the Great Commission, as, as God calling his people to go forth um, and we, we point to that a lot as New Testament Christians and especially as Baptists. We've been known from the beginning as a, as a missional 
denomination. We, we send people. We delight in sending people. We always have funded the sending of people in our denomination. And I love that about being Baptist. But Matthew 28 was really not the first time that God spoke about sending his people forth into the nations. Matthew 28 is really a fulfillment of the heart of God all throughout Scripture, of what God has proclaimed about himself, you know, that he is a God for all peoples. And so continually we see in Scripture God's love and affection for all peoples, all nations, all tongues, and all tribes. We see this repeated a lot in the Old and the New Testament. And I, I know that you know, this, is, this isn't really a, um, this isn't a missionary night. This is kind of a time of year where we think about this because we do have our Lottie Moon Christmas offering and we do a mission emphasis. But this is a psalm of the Lord. Like this is a, this is a psalm. This isn't a, a missionary emphasis. This isn't an evangelistic emphasis. This is really just me uh, and us diving into God's word and really seeing what God's heart is for his people and what his mission is and has been from the beginning. And so we see in numerous places that God calls for the praise of all people in, in a lot of places. In Psalms, specifically the one we read, Psalm 96, Psalm 117. Uh, we see uh, God's heart for the nations in the way that he describes and, the, and commands Israel to be a, a people called to be a light to the nations, Isaiah 49.6. Um, we see God delivered his people from bondage in Egypt for the sake of his name being proclaimed in all the earth, Exodus 9. 14 and 16, and that's just to name a few, but really that's a theme you see throughout all of the Old Testament. God's heart for his people to be a light to the nations so that the nations may hear about him, may worship him, and that he may be a God of all peoples. And so aside from all the references in the Old Testament, we also see this concept in the New Testament as well. We see it in the way that Jesus reached out and he ministered to those outside of the chosen people of Israel. He ministered to uh, Samaritans and to others, to other Gentiles, uh, the nations. We see it in the way that he commissioned his disciples before he ascended back into heaven to go to all the world, the nations, and to proclaim the gospel, Matthew 28. We see it again, the same commission given in a different way in Acts 1.8 when he tells the disciples to go to the uttermost parts of the earth in order to uh, make him known. And even among the rise in the persecution of the early church, if you read the book of Acts, you see a large portion of the, of the book of Acts, a lot of the growth of the church was driven by persecution, starting with the stoning of Stephen, driving the church out of Jerusalem and sending them to the nations. That even in the midst of that persecution of the early church, we see God sovereignly orchestrate that persecution in order to send his people out among the Gentiles for the sake of the gospel. And that's a major theme of the book of Acts. And, so, and, and then, of course, there's the beautiful picture. If you fast forward all the way to the end, Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17, we get this picture of people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, who are standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see this picture in the throne room of heaven, of the nations praising and worshiping the Lamb. So God's heart beats for the nations. He longs for the praise of the nations. John Piper wrote a very famous book. Um, I forget exactly when he wrote it, but it's, the book is entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad. And it's largely built around, uh, or, or at least partly inspired by this psalm that we read. Uh, and, and one of the most famous quotes from that book is he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. In other words, we go to the nations, we proclaim the gospel to the nations because God's name is not proclaimed there and his name deserves to be proclaimed there. So missions exist because worship of God does not exist in these places. So God desires the worship of all peoples. That is what Psalm 67 is all about. God blesses his people in order for us to be a blessing to the nations, a blessing to all peoples. So God calls for us to make his salvation known among the nations. And so um, that's the goal of this sermon, uh, to show scripturally that God delights in the praise of all people. And the way that, we, that, he, that that will be achieved is by his blessing his people, by him sending us as his people forth as a light into the nations. Originally, of course, this psalm was written to, to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel, but we adopt it too. We adopt, we, God gave us the same mission that he gave Israel, to be a light to the nations. We have no different commission than they did. And so God sent us out to be a light to the nations, and God is using his church as the conduit 
through which and by which this global praise is going to be achieved. So what, what an amazing thing that God has tasked us with. What an amazing thing that God has called us to and commissioned us to. So let us look at this psalm and let's see how it unfolds in verse 1 uh, specifically here. So your first blank there, seek the blessing of God. Seek the blessing of God. So let the nations praise Him. And how do we start with that? Well, we seek the blessing of God. So in verse 1, this psalm begins with a common blessing of the high priest. Uh, it can be found in Numbers 6, 24 and 25. Um, and you see really in this, this blessing three specific requests uh, that is located here in verse 1. The first one of those is, it's also the next blank, be gracious to us. Be gracious to us. And so this is a request for mercy. Some translations use the word merciful instead of gracious. Uh, the Hebrew word hanan can mean both. But it means to be shown favor or consideration or to have mercy on. So the, the idea that the psalmist is, is putting forth here is that nothing can be accomplished apart from the grace and the mercy of God. The mission of God, and we, we need to take this to heart because the mission of God depends upon Him being gracious towards His people and towards the nation. God's grace is the driving factor behind what we do. It should also be noted that the psalmist doesn't seek the blessing of God until he cries out for the mercy of God and appeal to God for mercy and a recognition of who he is, of our sin before him, is the foundation of seeking this blessing from him. As Charles Spurgeon would say, which I admittedly want to quote him a few times tonight because he wrote probably one of the most influential um, commentaries on the book of Psalm called The Treasury of well, we call it Treasury of, of David, and he's, he, he entitled that as well, but it's his commentary on the book of Psalm. Uh, but Charles Spurgeon would say, Forgiveness of sin is always the first link in the chain of mercies experienced by us. Forgiveness of sin is always the first link in the chain of mercies experienced by us. So there will be no blessings unless the unmerited, unmerited favor of God is first poured out on his people. So that's the first request. God, be gracious, be gracious to us. And that's something that we should, we should also desire every day. That's, that's, that's not just something we ask for when we're going to, to the nations to share the gospel. That's something we ask for and we need daily in our lives. We ask for the blessings of God. We ask for the mercy of God and His grace to be on our lives and on the lives of our spouses and on the lives of our children and grandchildren. God, be gracious to us. God, be gracious to us. The second thing is bless us. Bless us. That's your next blank. Bless us. So God's people desire the blessing of God. Uh, the Hebrew word for bless is barak. It can mean to bless or to kneel. Both, I think, are appropriate when you're thinking about the, receiving the blessing of God, kneeling before him, receiving the blessing of God. So when we bless God, we, we bring nothing but our praise. God is in need of nothing but he does delight in the praise of his people. And so the idea is that we kneel before him, we praise him, we bless his name. That's something that God's people are going to do forever. So when God blesses us, he gives us all of who he is to his people. God offers us so much in blessing us. So the, the plea of the writer of Psalm 67 to have the blessing of God is a cry of desperation. And when, when, I, when I was reading this, I was reminded of when, uh, in Genesis 32, you don't have to turn there because I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I was reminded of in Genesis 32 when Jacob had a, uh, a wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. Uh, what I believe is the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. Um, if you'll remember the story, he was about to reunite with Esau. Jacob, the deceiver, had deceived his brother out of both his uh, birthright and the blessing of his father. And he had ran away to his uncle Laban. He had married the two daughters of Laban. He was making his way back. And he was about to reunite with Esau. And he didn't know what to expect. You know, as I can imagine, I would be in the same boat. You know, would Esau kill him? Would he capture him? Would he make him a slave? You know, what Jacob needed that night was not the presence of another person because he secluded himself from all people. He was alone on that night before he met his brother Esau. But somebody's shown up that night. Um, what he needed and what he demanded 
was the blessing of God. So God shows up, pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, and the account says that Jacob and the Lord wrestled all night until the break of dawn. It's one of my favorite stories in the, um, in the Old Testament. I, I can't even fathom in my head to be in a wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. Um, what, I, I, it's amazing that Jacob only walked away with a bad hip out of that whole situation. But nonetheless, um, and I think he's fascinated by that too because at the end of it all, he says, I saw the face of the Lord and I lived. But at the end of it, if you'll remember, the angel of the Lord got the upper hand, put his hand on his hip, uh, knocked it out of joint. And uh, Jacob in verse 26, he's clinging to the angel of the Lord who's about to leave. And he says, I will not, I will not let you go until you what? Until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. And I think that's kind of the, the plea of this, this blessing that you see here in this first verse. God, be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face shine upon us. It's this plea of desperation. We need, we desire the blessing of God. God loves his people. He delivered Jacob from the wrath of his brother Esau. And by his mercy, he has blessed us and delivered us from the wrath of God. Do do we deserve the blessing of God? No. But the question we should be asking is, do we, do we desire the blessing of God? Do we seek it? Do we ask for it? At the end of the day, the core of this high priestly blessing that's in verse 1 here isn't to just receive good things from God, because the highest blessing and the best thing that we receive is the Lord himself. God, be gracious to us. Make your face shine upon us. That's the third request. Make your face shine on us because that's that's what the blessing is god is gracious he blesses his people and the primary way that he blesses his people is by his, the gifting us of his own presence he gives us himself there is not there is no blessing without the blessing giver the very meaning of being blessed is to be drawn into the presence of the blessed one of god and so the desire of the heart of the people of israel was to have the face of god shine on them that he would look on them to have the maker and the sustainer of the universe direct his gaze in their direction. They desired to see his face and for him to see them. So at, at the deepest places of our own transformed hearts, isn't this our plea as well? Lord, let me see you. Look on me and let me look on you. And I think for those of us who still have small children in the house, that this can be perfectly illustrated and those of you who have grandchildren that you watch after a lot probably get this a lot too. They, they are very demanding of your attention. Very demanding of your attention. And our children really illustrate this principle for us. Whenever my children are about to do something that they think is noteworthy, what do they do? Dad, dad, dad. Five or six more times. You know, dad, 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 look, look, watch me. Dad, watch this. Dad, come see this. Mom, come see this. They want the attention of their father. They want us to see what it is that they are doing or have done. Sometimes it's something they shouldn't be doing, but that's not the point here. The point is they want us to see them. They want us to look on them. And they want to watch our face as we take it all in. They want us to see them. And then what are they doing? They're distracted by us watching them. They're watching us. right? They want us to see them. They want to see us take it all in. And they are blessed by the presence of their parents. They, they delight in that. And we delight in them. And that's really the ultimate plea of the blessing here. Father, look at me. Father, watch me. Father, watch this. And so to have... The face, if, if God's face shining on us is a sign of the blessing of God, then God turning his face away would be a sign of cursing. To curse someone then would be to request that God would not, turn his would, would not turn his face towards them, but yet would turn his face away and that he would not look on them. He would not remember them. But the blessing of God is to see God and for him to see you and to know him and for him to know you. He is the blessing. He's the reward. And... For this psalm, there's a very specific reason why the psalmist requested this blessing at the beginning in verse 1. It's so that the nations, in turn, might be blessed. And so we turn to that next. But in the spirit of this psalm, there's two selahs here, if you'll notice. Selah means it's a pause, right? It means to lift up or to pause. And so in the spirit of the psalm, take a minute and do that. And this is unusual in Bible study. Sermons usually just kind of flow right on through, but I'm going to do, there's some awkward silence here for a minute because this psalm demands it. Um, take a minute and do that. Think on the blessing of God. Think on the grace of God. Think about the mercy of God and the gift of himself to you, that his face is shining on you. 
Um, and let's just for a brief moment desire in our hearts the blessing of God and to have him turn his face towards us. So let's take a Selah just here for a few seconds and think on that. Okay, so the second point. So why does God bless his people? Why do we seek the blessing of God? Well, firstly, because so your salvation will become known among all peoples. So your salvation will become known among all peoples. This is verse 2. And this verse makes very clear that God blesses his people so that all peoples may know him, that your way may be known on earth, that your saving power among all the nations. So this is the job of the church. Again, I love how Spurgeon puts this. He says, As showers which fall upon the hills afterwards run down in streams into the valleys, so the blessing of the Most High upon the church, what we see in verse 1, the blessing of the Most High comes upon the world through the church. The church is the vessel by which God has chosen to make himself known among the earth. He has tasked us with this mission. It's not just the nation of Israel that he's tasked with this mission. It's, it's us as his people, as his church. Paul, I believe, has this in mind in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19 through 21, when he says, uh, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us, the church, and to him as an apostle, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I can't think of a better summation of the gospel and what our mission is to be than what Paul mentions right there, especially in verse 20. Ambassadors for Christ, we're messengers for him, we go with the message of Jesus. We don't, we don't go for any other reason. We go for the, for the, with the message of Jesus for the purpose of making an appeal to people on behalf of Christ. We implore you. I think it's interesting how Paul uses that phrase. We implore on behalf of Christ. We implore on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And we proclaim who he, what he did. For God made him to be sin who knew no sin. The sinless one became the bearer of sin so that we, the sinful ones, might become the righteousness of God in him. That's, that's what is, is being talked about here in verse 2. If you want a New Testament example of what Psalm 67, 2 is talking about, that's it. God blessing the world and the nations through the church by sending us out as his ambassadors to make an appeal to be reconciled to God through Christ. So what, what a blessing that God desires to make his name known among the nations. And he has called, equipped, and he has sent out his church as ambassadors to do that. So what, is, what does it mean that God's ways be made known? And I want to drill in on that word, that your way may be known on earth. Your ways may be known on earth. What are his ways that's speaking of here in verse 2? What's God's ways? What specifically about God are we making known when we go and proclaim? And the Hebrew word for way in verse 2 can be translated as road or path. And so you'll hear me referring to that throughout the rest of the sermon as making the way of salvation or the path of redemption known. So when we go forth as God has called us, we're making known the paths or the roads of God. Specifically, we're making the path of salvation known. In verse 2, if some of you have the King James Version, the word salvation or saving power may be translated as saving health. So instead of saying that your way may be known on earth, you're saving power among all the nations, it may say you're saving health among all the nations. It's actually a word closely related to Jesus' name in the New Testament. It's Yeshua. It appears in the Old Testament 78 times. And in other places, it's translated as help, salvation, deliverance, welfare, or health. And so the idea should be clear to us. God is saying that he blesses his people to go forth and to proclaim the way or the road of salvation, the way of deliverance for all people. How do you receive spiritual health by following the way of God, by following the road or the path that God has set down to find salvation, which is, comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must also... Pay attention to that word way. We must also pay attention to the word nations here. 
This isn't, many of you have heard this, isn't referring to geopolitical entities. This is a Hebrew word that often refers to the heathen, the pagan, or the Gentile nations. God intends for people from pagan nations, pagan nations who have never heard of Him, to hear of Him and to be told about His way of salvation and His deliverance. And as, as the American church, we often, it's, it's probably easy to read Psalm 67 and think that that our nation is the foundation upon which now everything just springboards from America and look, we're, we're, and we do send people out. We send a lot of people out, but we have to remember that this was written to the people of Israel, that foundationally this was something that the people of Israel were supposed to do, which was to be a light to the nations, to go forth and shine the glory of God so that people in all nations may come to know Him. But it's becoming abundantly clear. Uh, we're included in this because God's Word went out from Jerusalem so many years ago from that persecuted church, driven out, shared by the apostles, and the church spread from Jerusalem out to the nations that were a benefit, were actually a fulfillment of this psalm. And now God is calling us to do exactly what he was calling Israel to do in this psalm, to be a light to the nations as the church of God, as the church of God. And, and you know, maybe one of these days, not too far in the future, America may be a nation that needs the light to be brought here, to be shown here, um, there's, I, I'm convinced that America has never been more lost than what it is right now as a nation and as a country. There are pockets of lostness in this country um, of people who have been so, the gospel's been either distorted or it's not been proclaimed at all among them and that we, th our nation needs the gospel as much as anywhere else. So God, use your church to make your, your word known among us as well, among this nation, among all nations. And so the church is a testimony to the nations about the salvation of God. He wants all people to hear about the way of deliverance, the way of eternal life. And we proclaim with Paul the same thing that he proclaimed, be reconciled to God. We implore on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. God makes his appeal through us, be reconciled to God through Christ. So that people who, in, in, in 2 Peter, uh, I think, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, I've got this on your sheet for you. It's the same message that Peter was sending out too. And he was explaining how the, even then the church was the fulfillment of a promise made through Hosea. If you'll remember, Hosea had kids, two of which were named uh, No Mercy and Not My People. Right? Two of Hosea's kids were named No Mercy and Not My People. And here, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, is saying... So that those who have not received, once you were a people, he's speaking to the, to the church, the church in dispersion. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we go with that message too. Once you were a people, the, the, the nation that I went to this fall in October, once they were a people, they, once they were not a people of God, they were not his people, but the gospel came and now there are people that belong to him in this country, once they had not received mercy, there was no mercy for them, but the gospel came and now God has shown mercy on this nation. So we proclaim the same thing. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now the gospel has come and you have received mercy. So God desires for all people to hear about this. That's why we sent people to Cuba. That's why we sent people to India. That's why we sent people to South Asia. It's why we went to Wyoming and South Dakota. It's why we go across the street. It's all part of the global mission of God to make him known and to call people to repent and to show people the path of salvation. And when I went to, and I'll have to cut these stories short for time's sake, but in October when we went to this nation in South Asia and we would go in and what our main job was to do there was to show these people, to teach these people, to explain to these people God's path, God's road of salvation. Many of which had never heard of it. Um, you, you could put a Bible in front of them, but they, they couldn't read it. Um, and so we had to explain God's way of salvation to these people, starting with creation, all the way through what sin is, uh, why this world is broken the way that it is, what's the consequences of sin, explaining the cross and who Jesus was and what he did for us. And this was a nation that's largely 80% of Hindu people who have no hope, many, many false and confusing gods that they worship. Yet God sent us to show the true way, the right way, the road of salvation that they can have hope. 
Many received it with gladness. Many received it with curiosity. Some rejected it, but with curiosity. Some outright rejected it. But nonetheless, God sent us to this nation to bring forth his name, to share his name among them, and to see the way of salvation proclaimed among these people. And God's still calling people to do that today. God desires, that's God's heartbeat, is that he would be praised among all peoples. And that's what verses 3 through 5 communicate to us. Your blank there is praise. So your praise will echo among all peoples. So your praise will echo among all peoples. So verses 3 and 5, this is uh, what we call uh, in Bible interpretation, it's an inclusio. You'll see verses 3 and verse 5 pretty much echo each other. And then there's verse 4 in the middle. So there's a thought being expounded upon here. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's drawing our attention. He's putting this inclusio. It's like a bookend or a bracket, right? He's saying the same thing in verse 3, repeats it in verse 5. And in the middle, you've got verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. So there's this inclusio with this major truth in between it. And really, when you think about it, verses 3 and verse 5 are very prophetic. The psalmist is foreseeing a time when peoples from all nations will declare the praises of God. The Hebrew word translated as praise is also translated in other places as give thanks or to confess. So as, as Pastor Mike might say, uh, the nations upon hearing of the goodness of salvation are now declaring the good confession that Christ is Lord, and they're giving thanks to God. That's the desire of the psalmist. So this is a, this is a natural response to having heard the way of salvation. Uh, when you see, what you see portrayed in this verse and in verse 5, in verse 3 and 5, is a celebration. It's jubilation at having heard and having responded to the message of salvation. Now the nations are praising God. The nations are praising Him. They're glad. They're singing. What are they glad about? Uh, one commentary sums it up well when it said, for thy grace, for thy great mercy to them in rescuing them from the idolatry. Here's what God has done for these nations. Why are they praising him? Why are they so jubilant? Why are they so happy that the way of salvation has come to them? Why did so many people come up to me, and I'm sure Spencer, after we shared the gospel with them, thanking us how happy they were to have received this good news. One man was a 25-year veteran of the Indian Army. He came up to me after he shared the gospel, and his family received the gospel, and he was he was elated that we would show up in his house and tell him this story. So what are they, what are they grateful for? Well, here's why. For, the, for, that, for God's great mercy to them in rescuing them. What has he rescued them from? From the idolatries and superstitions, the errors and vices of their fathers, and in bringing them to the knowledge of thyself, the true God of eternal life. What has God rescued them from is generational sin, a cycle of generational sin, of worshiping false gods, of bowing down to idols, of hearing hopeless messages their whole life. And here, God has sent the church to bring the message in the way of salvation to these people, and he's delivered them from generational sin, generations upon generations of idol worshipers and superstitious beliefs, errors and false gospels that he's delivered them from. And now thousands of generations will be blessed with the gospel because one has heard and received. So God has delivered them from paganism. He's delivered them from idol worship, from a dead way of life without hope. He's adopted them as sons and daughters and heirs to his kingdom. So let them praise him. Let all the nations praise him is what the psalmist is saying. That is the work of global missions. That's what we do even when we just share the gospel across the street with somebody. That's what we're desiring to do. You know, right now in the world, God is not praised among all peoples. I, I don't know the exact statistics, but I know that there are peoples in this world who have never heard. They're unreached, unengaged. Um, UUPGs is what they refer to them as in the mission world. Unge unengaged and unreached people groups who have never heard of the name of Jesus. So God is not praised today among all peoples. God desires to be praised among all peoples. God deserves the praise of all peoples. And so he's commanded his church to go and to bring it about. And verse 4 goes on and says that another thing God deserves the praise of nations for is his justice. His justice. So this, again, this term, the word justice means govern, judge, or vindicate. In some cases it means to punish, but I don't believe that's the meaning in view here. But certainly when you talk of God's justice, his judgment, punishment is in the background. After all, nations will be judged, and we'll get to that later. And that's also mentioned in, in many other places in Scripture. 
But in this passage, what is being extolled is his fairness or his, his equity. Uh, some of your translations may have the word righteously there, that he is judging the peoples, with, judging the peoples righteously. And so the Hebrew word, it just means upright. It means that God is being level. He's being fair. He's being upright. It's actually the same word used to describe a plain or a flat piece of ground. It's level, it's straight, it's right. So what's being communicated here is that God will deal rightly with all peoples. He will deal, deal fairly with all peoples. He will judge them fairly, plainly and equally. His justice is fair and his governing is righteous. That's what they're proclaiming and praising about God. No nation, including the United States of America will be able to claim that God has dealt with them in an unfair manner. No nation before the judgment, no individual before the judgment throne of God will be able to, to declare to God that he has dealt with them unfairly, unequally, or unrighteously. His justice and his mercy will be praised. That's, that's a declaration of all of God's word, that his justice will be praised. And I would mentioned before that this passage is specifically verses 3 through 5 is prophetic. And so what, what you're picturing here is not just a real-time praise, which is even now happening all over the globe. There are people in other nations praising God, singing praises to Him, declaring His goodness. But what this is also a picture of, or it's a glimpse, a small snapshot of what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. And that's recorded for us in Revelation 21, verses 23 to 26, which is a beautiful picture of this psalm at its fulfillment, right? If you want to picture what this psalm is when it's fulfilled one day, well, Revelation 21 gives you a picture. Uh, verse 23 through 26 says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamp, its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into its gates, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there, and they will bring into it, referring to the nations, the nations will bring into it the, their glory and their honor. The glory and the honor of the nations. And so, by this light, the light of Jesus, the nations will walk in the new heavens and the new earth, and they will bring praise and glory and honor into the new Jerusalem. So that's the fulfillment. That's the picture that's going on here in Psalm 67. And so to that sums up really the, the, the goal of missions, the goal of our church. When you think about, when we think about our mission as a church, what's our goal? Every time you share the gospel, it's to advance the kingdom among the nations. It's to advance the kingdom of God among people. Uh, and that was certainly our goal in South Asia when we went. Um, I witnessed firsthand and Spencer got to preach in an actual village church there with a packed full of about, I don't know, 25, 30 people. Um, they told us to expect 15, and about double that showed up. And uh, so we, we, he, he got to preach, and so we got to see these people uh, and hear them sing songs that we didn't understand the language of, but we knew it was delightful to the Lord. Um, but this nation, um, they were very jubilant. They were very joyful in their worship. And so people are hearing and responding to the gospel in South Asia. Now... There's 1.7 billion people there, largely, largely lost. But God's word is advancing among them. And this particular nation that we went to is, is a nation that will be represented around the throne in heaven. When we see Revelation 21, I can picture these people there praising God around the throne. Uh, on one particular day when we were in this, this country, we visited the birthplace of Buddha. It was a, it was a beautiful building from the outside but on the inside was idolatry, right? People coming to visit a man who lived, who died, and who stayed dead and led many down a false path. It was a beautiful building, again, from the outside, but inside was idolatry. So people would come from all over to see the birthplace of Buddha, a man who led many down a road of false religion. And I remember the whole time that my prayer which many of us didn't even, they, they made you actually pay a fee and take your shoes off to go walk um, on this, this ground that they considered holy. And so, um, and a couple of us had, had an issue with that. You know, we were like, well, I don't know if I really want to do that. 
But the thought that kept coming to my head and the prayer the whole time I was walking was that, you know, it's like, I'm going to take and I'm going to pray the gospel over this place. I'm going to take my shoes off and I'm going to walk on this place, not because this ground is holy now, but because I'm going to ask God to make it holy later. And so my prayer the whole time was that God would redeem that ground, that God would tear down that monument to idolatry, that God would build a church on that property. And I know in the New Jerusalem, that's exactly what's going to happen. That's the promise of God in his word. But I don't think we have to wait for that to happen. Then I believe it can happen now as the gospel advances, so does his kingdom. And so where his kingdom advances, so does his praise. And where God's praised, he is also feared. You know, I think it'd be, it'd be a wonderful thing in our time to see God worshipped in that place where Buddha is being, uh, where people come to see and to hear from whatever it is that he, uh, he, was, he was, his false religion was. He uh, presented a false way out of suffering, but the gospel provides a way through suffering to be blessed and to be saved through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so my prayer the whole time was that God would build a church in our time, on that ground. And he can do it. And that God can be praised there. And, and what's amazing is that when we got outside of that facility, we were walking down, it, became, it started pouring rain. And we, we, there were several kind of overhangs, and we kind of got under one, and a lot of other people got under it with us. And the guys who were leading us on this trip were like, you know, let's, let's, we're all tucked in here together right now. Let's just tell them about Jesus. And so that's, that's exactly what we did. And so 10 people... Ten people who came to meet the Buddha that day heard the gospel, and three of them walked away believers in Jesus. Now, that was, that was providential. That was providential, and that was God doing his work. And so we were grateful for that. But God, God will be praised among the nations, that his praise will echo among all people. And so the final point, which I barely have time for, verses 6 and 7, is for God's name to be feared. His name may be feared among all peoples. So once God's salvation is known among the earth, God praised among all the peoples of the earth, he's rightly worshipped among all people. And then another blessing is mentioned. In a lot of ways, you know, verse 6 is the fulfillment of verse 1. The psalmist has prayed for God's blessing. He has given it to his people to go and make the way of salvation known. And as we go, we go with the blessing and the presence of God. And as his church goes forth with his presence to accomplish this mission, God gives the increase. His word never returns void. God's word never returns void. Not, not any point did I share the gospel and not think God was doing something in the middle of that. Even if the person said no, not one time did I think that God was not doing something in that person's life. So once God is worshipped among the nations, then the increase will come. This is really agricultural language, right? So the psalmist is referring to the produce of the fruit of the crops. See, God is using his church as laborers it's kind of like the parable of the sower, right? We go about, we spread the seed of the gospel. We're tending to gospel fields. We're watering, we're weeding, we're pruning, all in the name of God, under the authority of God. But at the end of the day, he's the one who gives the increase, which is why our mission will be successful is because God's in charge of it and not us. Twice in verses 6 and 7, the psalmist refers to this blessing. He is so confident that this will happen that he's speaking about it as something that's already been accomplished. God will bless the nations forever. It will happen. God will bless the nations. And so it, it also points to the judgment in the sense that all those nations who raged against God, right, who spurned the message of the gospel, they will be judged. And so that's what we see in this language of being feared. Finally, you know, we, we, what ought to have always been from the beginning, right, was that God would be worshipped. So in many ways, this is a kind of an end times focused psalm. It's pointing towards a time at the end of all things where the purposes of God's plan of salvation is accomplished. His word has gone out. He has called his people from all the nations. He's rightfully worshipped among all the peoples. And then the end comes. And so what we ought to have always been from the beginning will be, will be accomplished. God will, he will be, not might be, but he will be feared among all the peoples of the nations. God will be properly reverenced. He will be respected, he will be honored, he will be worshipped among all peoples. It's a truth, it's a certainty of God. He will be worshipped among all peoples. And he will also be properly dreaded, feared, and terrifying to all those to whom the blessing did not fall. Right? This psalm is pointing both towards final judgment and the new heavens and the new earth. And it points to the judgment in the sense that all those 
who raged against God, all those who spurned the message of the gospel will be judged. They will stand before God. They will fear Him. They will be in awe of Him. And they will be cast from His presence forever. And that's why the work of the church among the nations is so important. That's why the, our work across the street in Dixon is so important. In the state of Tennessee, in Wyoming, and South Dakota, and all the other places that we go, it's important because there's only one way to escape the wrath of God. There's only one way to not stand before Him in fear of falling under His wrath. There's only one way to be shielded from that coming and dreaded wrath of God. And that's to be covered by the blood of Jesus. And they have to hear if they're going to experience the salvation of God. Because on that day, on final judgment, those not covered by Christ will be exposed to His wrath. They, and He will be feared among the people. But the good news is that some from all nations will be spared that wrath. They will come to hear the message of the gospel. They will repent. They will worship God. And to quote Spurgeon one more time, the far off shall fear, the ends of the earth shall end their idolatry and adore their God. All tribes without exception shall feel a sacred awe of the God of Israel. Ignorance will be removed, insolence subdued, injustice banished, idolatry abhorred, and the Lord's love, light, life, and liberty will be over all, and the Lord himself will be King of kings and Lord of lords. So this psalm pictures for us this glorious time that that's coming. That God will... Uh, there's a quote here from James Hamilton, another commentator that I read, that, it, that Psalm 67, what it does is it captures God's purpose for the world when He created it. And He placed that... And think about this. God's purpose from the very beginning. This, the, again, the Great Commission is not a New Testament idea. It's God's heart from the very beginning. God's purpose for the world when He created it and placed Adam and Eve in the garden... After their expulsion from Eden, God set about accomplishing the same purpose when He redeemed Israel from Egypt and He put them in the land of promise. He meant to cause His glory to cover the dry lands as the water covers the sea. As those who reflected His character exercised dominion over all that He had made, God means to bless the nations with the knowledge of His character and salvation that they may be glad in Him, that they may praise Him, that they might dwell in His presence and enjoy His blessing the totality of their lives. It's an amazing thing that one day the curse of this world will be removed and Satan and every demon will be banished and all the wicked and the unbelieving judged and what will be left will be transformed, believers into their glorified state, uh, the earth made new, heavens made new, new Jerusalem once again reunited with a new earth and Lord Jesus ruling and reigning over all of his people. And so as I, I walk through the mountains of, that, of South Asia in that country, that was my prayer, and this is where I'll wrap up. I'm about done. Um, th that was my prayer. I, I prayed that as I walked through the mountains, um, that God would save for himself a people from among those that we were going to share with. I prayed for the churches to be established so that the gospel could go forth among the people. I prayed that there would be people praising God from every mountain in that country. And finally, I prayed that God would return and that he would abolish every idol in every home, redeem those mountains for His glory and see His worship established there forever. 1.7 billion people in that part of the world are unreached and have never heard about the Lord. But our church is involved in sending people there and chipping away little by little at that unbelief. God is using us little by little to chip away at that unbelief. But there's still a lot of work to be done. And we will be going back. If you have any questions or want to know more about that, let me know. But here's one final thought. I love this hymn. In 1931, a man named Frank Houghton, who was the director at the time of the China Inland Missions, during a troubling civil war, he wrote a hymn entitled Facing a Task Unfinished. Um, this, the China Inland Mission had issued... This was amazing to me. So there was a civil war going in China, right? Twelve missionaries, twelve workers had already been martyred because of their belief in Jesus and because of their work in sharing the gospel. Twelve people had been martyred, had been killed, and missionaries were being withdrawn and were leaving this area due to civil war. So what did the China Inland Mission do? Well, they decided, you know what? All these people are leaving because of the civil war and unrest, and twelve have died. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a campaign to send 200 people right back in in order to share the gospel with these people who are being displaced because of a horrendous Civil War, and they, this guy, Frank Houghton, wrote this song, 
facing a task unfinished as a way to kind of promote this calling of 200 people to go back into China and to reach them. And so this hymn was written, and then Keith Getty in 2015, he, they added a chorus, I believe, and, some, and, and reworked the music. <clears throat> but to me, verses 1 and 3 are very particularly re- relevant to us tonight, and I'm going to close with these. Verses 1 and 3, it says, Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same commission, the same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition, to thee we yield our powers. We go to all the world, the kingdom hope unfurled, no other name has power to save but Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for what your word has taught us about your heart for all people. We thank you that the word at some point has came to all of us. Somebody shared the gospel with us and we came to know you through that word. And so we're grateful for that, Lord. We're grateful that the Great Commission is, is going on among us now We're grateful for those who are going to see your word proclaimed in places where it's not been. We pray your blessing on them. Well, we know it's not always safe to do that, but we nonetheless pray that that your word would flourish in spite of the persecution, in spite of how hard it is to share in some places in this world that you that's never stopped you and so we just pray that you would continue to to send people, to raise up people even among this church, Lord, who would go to make you known among the nations because you deserve to be praised and worshiped where you are not. And so we just thank you for your word that reminds us of our task and what's really been your heart all along, Lord, that it would also be our heart uh, for, your, for the people of this world. And we just praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all have a great night and a happy new year. I have no parting song, so we're good to go.